And welcome to the Inadvertent Whistle. I'm your host, Scott Bockhans, and I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Brick. So, Adam, it's our postseason podcast, and we are uh, looking at different uh, games and different levels that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. It's that time of year that's really important to the teams. Some some of these kids will never wear uniforms again, uh, so it's a, a really important time for them. And it's also a time for officials to shine, and, and we usually see uh, the best of the best or the, the cream rise to the top. So um, before I, I get into the first of our interview section tonight, do you want to talk anything about uh, the postseason and what it means to you? It's just a fun time of year, um, especially when you get into the regional play and, and starting to get down to the state tournament where you're getting together. Um, the basketball community comes together, coaches, officials, watching games, um, celebrating the season. Uh, it, it, it's a fun time of year. For me, this time of year as a, as a sports fan is a great time. We get the high school basketball tournaments, which is kind of a personal thing for us. We, we roll into the NCAA tournament, um, opening day for Major League Baseball and the Masters. I can't think of a better like month to month and a half of sports. Um, and so I look forward to, to seeing the, to seeing the playoffs, working the playoffs, getting out there and supporting our fellow officials uh, as they do some of the postseason games and get down to the state tournament. And I look forward to spending time down in Richmond. Uh, we'll, we'll be fortunate enough to spend time with uh, Jimmy Jones and Don Gatz, who are both the, observers for the Virginia High School League at the state tournament. Yeah, I agree, Adam. And, and you know, th- this won't be our last podcast of the year because we do want to talk about camps and other things that officials can look forward to in their off offseason. Um, but I, I figured uh, it'd be a good time. I, Adam, recently I had a, a chance to spend some time with three of our longtime state officials. These are officials that are uh, – you know, they've done very well in their careers at the high school level and also in, in, in a couple of cases at the college level over their time. Between the three of these officials, they worked for 99 years, and their alternate, alternate who I didn't interview, uh, had another 30 years. So, um, But I had a chance to, to sit in the locker room with the regional finals crew of Gil Mack, Marvin Dawkins, and Ron Jackson, and I was able to ask them an important question that a lot of young officials have, which is, what would you recommend I do so that I can advance my career and hopefully work a regional game one day, just like you guys? So, Adam, I'm just going to jump right into this interview, and then uh, hopefully we'll come back and we'll talk to uh, Don and Jimmy a little bit later. So, here, listen to this part with Gil Mack, Marvin Dawkins, and Ron Jackson. All right, so we're in the locker room at Robinson High School talking to the officiating crew for the boys 6A uh, Region C final. So uh, in the locker room for this game, we have Gil Mack, Marvin Dawkins, and Ron Jackson. Uh, But between the three of these guys, they have 99 years of experience uh, officiating at the high school level. So uh, I'm going to ask the same question, all three of them, and and, – I, what the goal for this is that we have an opportunity for these guys to share some information about what they've done to get better and how they can pass it along to those of us uh, that 
maybe looking to in- increase our officiating abilities to get better on a season by season basis, or maybe even just to improve to get to the next round of the playoffs. So, the question I want to ask you guys, and Gil, I'll start with you, uh, and we'll kind of work our way around is what are some of the things that you would recommend to a younger official that's coming up? What have you done to get better, and, and what would you recommend that they do to get better as an official overall? Um, I have been doing this for a long time. I also started with three of my boys. I have three uh, young men that started officiating. And my pet peeve always to them is to get in the rule book and the case book. You know, 29 years of officiating, every year I get in the rule book and case book and work tons of rec ball. And you see plays that you normally don't see during the season. And then when those plays happen in rec ball and you can go relate back to the book and talk to your fellow officials about those plays, those plays come naturally during the game. So I recommend case book, rule book, and rec games, and that will get you prepared for the season. So you're saying to make sure that we get not only in the rule book and case book, but the more plays you see doing rec ball, the more opportunities that you'll be able to see those when you go through your regular games. Is that right? Absolutely. That's correct. So, Marvin, I'm going to ask you the same question now. Obviously, you know, people mostly know you, uh, the younger guys, that you do a lot of video but I don't think they understand how much of a student of video you are. So maybe you can talk about that aspect of how to grow as an official. Thank you, Scott. Um, I highly recommend that they take advantage of the technology that we have today. When I was coming along, video was maybe something just to talk about. But with the technology we have today, you're able to see what other people have been telling you about your, you know, yourself on the court. And not just go ahead and get a video and then just put it aside and, and have a collection, but, but, but get those things, get with a buddy, uh, uh, break these things down to, to, to really improve yourself. I think, uh, you know, like I said, the technology you have, it's, it's outstanding. Take advantage of it. Yeah, and I, I would echo your sentiments, Marvin, just because the opportunities that are available they they weren't available back in the day when we first started. And that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I talked to Ron earlier about this, but Ron, you know, you can jump in here in a different way. You know, if you didn't have video, there were some things that you could do as a younger official, um, you know, and, and really if you're a younger official and you're not going out to games today to watch and listen and sit in on pregames, you're missing the boat. So, Ron, you want to maybe talk about that piece? Scott, it's invaluable. There, there was a game over the holiday season in which Isaac Baumgartner texts me after the game and said, Ron, remember that play. I go back on video. I watch it. I'm better because of that play. It, it, it's just, I would say to a young official, make sure you take advantage of our interpreter and our evaluators. I mean, I see Steve Gordon and, and, and everyone out all the time. Don Gatz, I run plays. I run plays through Scott. Scott, you know, it's, I run plays through you in rulings all the time. So I say to a young person, be receptive of criticism, but, but we have um, uh, just a, a fountain of people that can give um, wonderful, wonderful help to you. So I, I think in closing, the, the, the thing to think about here, if you're a young official, you want to improve, you know, let's get back to the basics and get in the rule book and the case book, make sure that we are knowing when the plays happen and we see them, we can justify our learning in the case book getting on video to replay the plays and just watch through our positioning, make sure we're in the right place and make sure we don't have any issues. And then, you know, as we, we were talking earlier, uh, Ron, you know, just making sure that you're getting out to the games. I mean, the fact that there's nobody uh, in here 
that's going to sit in on this pregame and miss out on the opportunity to, to see the three of you interact, um, they're missing the boat. And so if you're a young official, go out and go to these games and watch these games and have an opportunity to learn from 99 years of experience. Um, you can't beat that. So, guys, I, I, I want to appreciate you all for sharing on this podcast uh, interview, and I hope that your game goes well tonight. Good luck. Thank you. It was a Thank pleasure. You. So, Adam, obviously this is uh, – what a, what a great – uh, chance to spend some time with three legends uh, in Cardinal basketball like Gil Mack, Marvin Dawkins, and Ron Jackson. Be able to sit in the locker room and get some tidbits from them. If you're a younger official, I would take those those three lessons to heart. And I'm just going to review them again real quick. You know, Gil shared that it's really important to make sure you get in the rule book as well as the case book. And, I, and what I mean about getting them is, you know, get a study group together and and you know, kick plays around, talk about rules, you know, open up the rule book, get into the case book and help each other learn. Um, the other thing that Gil said that I thought was kind of interesting, everybody kind of teases Gil for a lot of uh, rec ball games he works. But if you really pay attention to what he's sharing with you there, he's he's saying that you get to see more plays and you can put yourself into a better uh, position by being able to train your eye so the first time you see something, you go, oh, I, I missed it. But then the next time it happens, you can rely on that experience. So I thought that was really important. And uh, and Marvin, uh, you know, talked about video, okay? And, and Marvin has the most experience of the three. Video wasn't around when we first started. And so the fact that he's talking about video and using it as a, a way to leverage your learning curve and get it to a point where your play calling – uh, it can be evaluated at a much faster pace um, instead of playing back you know plays in your head and talking them through with people that were sitting in the crowd now we can watch them on video and we can learn from our positioning we can learn from play calling guidelines we can you know if we're really looking at things to try to get better then we can we can do well with that and then you know Ron talking about just the you know not having officials stick around after games I think is important so and you know there's not a lot of that that happens anymore and it's honestly it it stands out more when somebody does stick around after their JV game and watches the varsity game or just goes out with other officials and watches games um I I really find it sad that here I was doing an interview with these three guys with you know almost 100 years of experience in officiating and there wasn't another non-varsity official or an up-and-coming young official that wanted to learn from them and sit in on their pregame so um i'd say that was a little bit disappointing but i think overall the the information that they provide is really really good advice so if nothing else, hopefully you'll take that advice, learn from it, and maybe look at ways that you can help improve your own game uh, for the seasons to come. So uh, with that, Adam, I'm going to turn it over to you because uh, we got some special guests here with us. And we're here at the uh, Virginia High School League State Tournament in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, this portion of our episode is sponsored by the Hampton Inn. They're hosting us here tonight, and it is Post uh, game on the first day of four championship games, and we are honored to have two special guests with us in studio at the Hampton Inn. Uh, the two evaluators for the state, uh, James L. Jones, 
who is a member of the Virginia High School League Hall of Fame, has worked, uh, I don't know, Jimmy, how many state tournament games did you work over the course of your life? Oh, something like 15. And we've got Don Gatz with us, the other observer at the state tournament. Um, He's not a Hall of Famer. He hasn't worked 15 state tournament games, but he's all that and a bag of chips, so it's great to have Don with us too. But I'm curious if 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 you each of you guys can answer this question for us. So you've both refereed many state tournament games. You've refereed for a long time. You've been evaluating officials at the state tournament for a long time. What is it that officials need to do well when they get here so that they can come back the following year? First of all, they like any basketball game you watch, you look for play callers. Guys that call, call plays, get them right, and look for game managers, people that manage the basketball game. That's state tournament, but that's in any game you work. From my perspective, communication is the number one key. If you can't communicate with the teams and the players, you're not going to come back because you're going to create a bunch of enemies. Now, in the past here at the state tournament, uh, the crews have been officials from different associations. They've been blend crews. Uh, one official from from three different associations over the uh, uh, around the state. Can you guys talk a little bit of what that was like when you were evaluating those and what officials needed to do well to work with people they've actually have in some cases have never even met before? I think some, there's different problems when you're working with a crew that's from mixed associations versus a crew from your own board. When you're working with different crews or different associations. Different associations have different primary points of emphasis and different things they're looking for in play calling. So two boards in particular, one has the opposite opinion of the other. One likes to have plays at the rim on a drive to to the hole called from lead, and the other one likes to see it called from trail. So when they're working, depending on where you're at, you could either get a double whistle or no whistle at all. So when you're working with your own crew, you see plays like that typically called correctly because everybody's looking for the same thing. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Don's right. Uh, everything he says, you get officials coming in, they're so comfortable back at home in their own boards. They go out work with a lot of the same guys every single night. And they come down here, they work with two strangers. And a lot of times when you throw it up for First part of the game, they're very, very uncomfortable. Sometimes they relax, the crew gets together. Sometimes they go a whole game and never get on the same page. Don, both uh, you and Jimmy have not only been here as uh, evaluators for the last umpteen years, but both of you, as we mentioned earlier, have refereed here at the state tournament. I'm wondering if you can remember, and it's it's a long ways back, uh, in your mind, your first time working the state tournament and what that experience was like for you? For me, it was uh, 1992, and it was Churchland High School in a state quarterfinal, and I was working with uh, Mike Russo and Maury Sheerans. And Maury was the veteran of the three of us. Uh, Mike and I were working our first state game, and I think it might have been Mike's only state game. Um but we traveled about three hours. Uh, we ended up at a brand new gym. I think it was a year old. 
We ended up in a janitor's closet because they weren't prepared for officials. And uh, I was nervous as hell. Uh, but we went out and did the game. The game was, uh, um, if I remember correctly, Lake, not, not Lake Taylor. Who was it? Might have been Lake Taylor. Somebody from the beach area, and it might have been Lake Taylor. And they were playing um, somebody out of Richmond. I can't remember who. And the score at the halftime was like 39-39. And at end of regulation, it was, I think, 71-71. And the end of double overtime, it was like 84-83. So it was quite a game. Felt pretty good that the result wasn't a result of any one of us making a mistake and had a great time. So, Jimmy, your first state tournament game, um, what was it like after each basket when you had to get the ball out of the peach basket? <laughs> it was probably that far back. I remember my first one. It was a university hall, and my very first state game was a state championship game. And back in the old days of Group A, and the teams were Washington and Lee down in Montrose and Appalachia High School. From way over, as you know, in southwest Virginia, and people over there have a little different accent. And Wait, different than you? <laughs> then you know what I'm talking about. And it was when you went to get the captains, my responsibility that day were to get the Appalachian captains. And I wanted to get the captain's name, and I couldn't understand a word he said. So... <laughs> When we got to the ca to get get the captains together, I'm supposed to introduce this young man by his name, and I had to introduce him as Captain Number Fourteen because I couldn't understand him when he, uh, when he told me what his what his name was. I thought it was my first what a memorable moment. If I can can uh, get away from it for a second, a state championship game. I happened to work at University Hall one night. Team is behind by a point, brought the ball down the floor, passed it baseline right side, kid puts up a jumper 15 feet, good, puts him up by one, timeouts call. Put ball back in play, and the team's got to go 94 feet with four seconds to try to win. Pass the ball in bounds, kid catches the ball, starts dribbling up the floor, gets to the timeline, and off, jumps up, shoot from half court. Gets up in the air, and just before he releases the ball, the horn goes off. He shoots a mid-court shot that goes in that would have won them the state championship, and I've got to wave it off. So I'm the trail coming up, blow my whistle, and I'm going across and waving, waving it off two or three times, tables, green with me, shaking their head. So I turned to leave, and there was a spectator in the stands, biggest man I've ever seen in my life, that didn't agree with my call. And when I turned around, the first thing I did was bump into him because he was not happy with me, and policemen came from everywhere to save me on that particular night.
Uh, so those are those are some good stories. I rem- I don't remember my first state tournament game, but I do remember my first game on the road, and it was actually with Don. It was with Don, and um, and Bill Naylor. We were and it was at U Hall, and we were driving down in I think Don's van, and I had driven down from New Jersey. I was in New Jersey on business. Our signer called me and said, "Can you be at University Hall tomorrow?" I'm like, "Sure." I didn't tell him I was in New Jersey at the time, and so I drove down that that next morning and met those guys and we drove down to u-haul and we're down in charlottesville and these guys want to stop it was either roy rogers or arby's i can't remember it was roy rogers and these two guys were an hour and a half before the game and they're chowing down food i couldn't even sip on a coke i felt like i was going to throw up but we went in there it was a fun ball game i don't even remember if it went to overtime or not but it came down to the wire and uh I think at least you and I weren't a part of the uh, ending of that game. I can't remember. Um, but uh, that was a fun road trip to, to go on the road with both you and, and Bill Naylor. So my first road trip was the Northwest Regional Championship that was being held at uh, Salem Civic Center down near Roanoke. And it was with two of our longtime best officials Mickey McDade and Don Cronin and they made me sit in the back seat while they talked up front for five hours driving down there and made me nervous as can be because of the discussions they had of all the problems they had from all their regional championships and all their state level games and we show up in a gym and the two teams we have have three losses between them I think and we're walking in, and there's about 150 people outside the Salem Civic Center, and this is about two hours before game time, and they're waiting in line to buy tickets. But they haven't been told yet that it was sold out the day before. And so we're walking through the crowd trying to get into the gym, trying to figure out what door was the one we were supposed to go in. And as we're walking past the fans, the guys are telling us, you better have your track shoes on tonight because you're going to be running. You better not blow that whistle because we don't want to hear no whistles tonight. We just want to see the kids play and all kinds of stories like that. And one lady just looked at me and said, you're awfully short, son. You're going to get hurt tonight. <laughs> so we get in the game and we have uh, two kids that are about six, eight tipping off and I'm the U2 opposite the table, and the ball gets tipped to the sideline I'm on um, and gets passed across court to the wing. And the kid that caught the original pass at the division line just takes off like a bat out of hell. And the kid from the wing on the, on the left-hand side or table side of the court throws an alley-oop to him. And about the time he catches the ball – the defender and he collide in midair as he's dunking the ball. And in, at the Salem Civic Center at that time, there were bleachers in the end zone. And all three of us ended up in the third row of the bleachers. The two kids that dunked the ball, the defender that fouled him, and me. And they have a picture in the Roanoke paper with me with my arm up catching the two players as I'm calling the foul. So that lady was prophetic. She was right. She knew you were going to get hurt. 
Um, switching gears a little bit, Jimmy, you spent how many years in athletic administration as the athletic director at Stafford High School? 29. So you saw some uh, some amazing things as an athletic director. And one of the things that Scott and I have talked about in our previous episodes is the stupid stuff officials do. And I know in talking to you over the years that there have been many a stupid thing done by officials in your gym that, for lack of a better term, drove you back crazy. And for some of our younger listeners who are officials or aspiring officials to be at the varsity level, can you please tell one or two of those stories about some of the stupid things officials do when they walked into your gym at Stafford High School? I guess the first story comes to mind. Our officials used to come in from Richmond, and two young men came in to work the JV game. And the game started and played four quarters of basketball, and I don't think they blew the whistle three times. I mean, people were getting killed, blood. I mean, just absolutely awful. So the game, of course, for the lack of whistles, was over very quickly. And I remember saying to myself after we let the officials back in their dressing room, I cannot let them leave this evening without telling them how I feel about their performance. So I went back to the dressing room to speak with them. And when I walked in, the two officials were dressed in basketball uniforms. And they were getting ready to put their clothes on over top of the basketball uniforms because they were anxious to get back to Richmond because they had to play in some kind of men's league game that evening. So they were not going to let that game uh, keep them from doing that. So uh, after I ascertained exactly what the situation was, I told both of them very quickly. I said, yes, I will talk to your commissioner. But before you leave here this evening, I want you to hear it from me personally. I will guarantee you both that you will never, ever see the inside of this gym in your lifetime. I thought you that when you said it was the worst game you'd ever seen officiate your school, you would talk about the night Gene Harris and I were down there doing one of your girls' varsity That's games on, on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Do you want that story? Uh, I don't. No, but the listeners might care to hear that. It was the end of the towards the end of the year, and I think your association had if guys were mainly boys officials of working boys games, they had to work a certain amount of girls games. And I think that is correct. You and your partner needed one more game. No, actually, the correction, my partner needed one more game. I had mine, but my partner, good old Gene Harrison, who I talk a lot about on this podcast, uh, said he wasn't going if I wasn't going with him. So anyway, the night of the game, who comes walking in but Adam and, and Gene, two top-notch officials, supposedly on the boys' side, and coming in to work this girls' game. And I greeted each one of them with, you know, what in the hell are you two doing here you know, this evening to come down here? Well, they go on and go out to work the game. Needless to say, the whistle didn't blow very much. And I think I had every parent 
or people in the gym coming to me, you know, where did you get these two from? They're the worst I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and that particular night, they were true. Well, we didn't have basketball uniforms on when we left. Oh. I do remember this. You walked in the locker room after the game. You said, gentlemen, you were awful tonight. Let's go get some pizza and beer. That's right. By all means. You know, you talk about the state. Let me add, this is not an experience thing. For people that go back as far as I did in working games, and I think that the state tournament experience, especially for the first game that a person gets, now that assignment comes to you, you get an email from your commissioner or something, you'll be able to such and such date, maybe something comes from delay. But there was nothing that beat the old days when it came to you in a letter. And you went and you got your mail out of the mailbox on the day, and there it was, a line, uh, envelope, Virginia High School League on the outside, and you opened it up. Congratulations, you have been selected to officiate in the whatever year state basketball tournament. And you just couldn't beat that feeling that cannot possibly come by getting it in an email just no way uh jimmy before we i want to ask a, a couple more questions about state tournament but there's one story about stupid stuff that i'd like you to to tell our audience uh, and it was about the time that um there was a an official that was kind of walking around the court looking at things and uh, you went up to him to find out what he was doing and it was about the baskets and if you could relate that i think that our younger officials would uh perhaps learn from that well, it came out on the floor. It was like the, the junior varsity game. And he started walking just around the outside of the gym. And he would get out underneath the basket and look up at the, the standards and everything and check everything, get around behind it. And then would go on around the floor, get down to the other end. And I watched him for a while. And, and finally, I couldn't stand it any longer. So I just went to him and just asked him, uh, Real quick question, like, you know, what in the hell are you doing? And he says, well, I'm just checking out all the goals and, and the court and everything and see if everything's okay. Well, I said, well, this has been here for like 20 years. It's the same way. Nothing's ever changed. Basket's still 10 feet and court is still 50 feet wide and 84 feet long. So I was just wondering... Uh, you know, what you were looking for. Now, better story, I'm sitting in the stands one night, and a JB game is going on, and the principal of the visiting school and his wife came in, and they were sitting up the stands. I went over to greet them and sit there chatting with them, and the official walks over to me on a timeout, and I could tell he was needed to talk, I said, yes, sir, I can help you. He said, you got to talk to these fans. I said, about what? You've got to tell them to keep quiet. I said, what do you mean keep quiet? He says, well, they're getting on me. And I had observed his performance, and needless to say, he probably deserved uh, what he was getting from the stands. So I'd quickly remind him that those people pay to get in, and if he wanted to be an official, he had to learn, learn to live with that. And I don't think he 
right after that, it was another year or so, he decided he was not a referee anymore. So as we close out our time here with Don Gatz and Jimmy Jones, um, earlier in the in the podcast we heard from three of our state officials working a regional final in Gilmack, Ron Jackson, and Marvin Dawkins, and they shared some pretty good tidbits. But I thought I'd ask uh, Don and, and, and Jimmy the same question, and, and Adam, you can chime in here too. But I, I'd like to find out what is what are some of the things that you see or that that you believe will help some of our younger officials be able to get to that level that they want to get to. So Don, I'll start with you. I think that the number one thing I I believe is the most important to young officials is to discuss play calling, um, discuss play situations and, and not just on their own merits, but in the totality of different games. We, we witnessed a game tonight where, specific calls in and of themselves if you take them out of the scenario of the game they're called in I have no problem with any individual call but when you put them together in a state championship where two calls go in opposite directions when they're seemingly the same call and they both go against the same team that's when you see that there's times where you have to take in the whole whole 32 minutes of all the calls you've made and all the calls your partners have made to recognize what is the right call under the circumstances. Uh, Watching video is great, but watching video can only give you what I'll call two dimensions of the three dimensions because you can't get the feel of the atmosphere, you can't get the feel of the coaches, you can't get the feel of the players from watching video because you're not there in person. And the, like we talked about today, the, the one of the four games that had a different atmosphere entirely was because the local crowd was so into it. And that changes the, um, the level of excitement in the gym. It, it changes all the different uh, emotions in the gym. And sometimes those play into how you're gonna blow your whistle. Yeah, I'd kind of add to that in that um, as officials, when when the emotions get that high, uh, our job is to stay even keeled and and be the calming influence. Um, and that kind of dovetails into what I think separates the average or good official to the to the better or great official. And that's how they deal with coaches. And too often. I see officials who do not acknowledge what coaches are saying. And 99 times out of 100, what the coach is looking for is some form of acknowledgement that the official has heard what he or she has had to say. And that doesn't necessarily require a verbal response. It could be a look. It could be a nod of the head. um, It could be a simple statement like, I heard you, coach. I'll take a look. But nothing frustrates a coach more than knowing that or feeling as if the referee or referees are not listening or willing to listen to what they have to say. And so I think that younger officials need to develop that. You have to use uh, the, the tools in, within your personality to have relationships and, and communications with coaches. Um, and, but you have to be yourself. You can't be 
Jimmy Jones or Don Gatz or Scott Bach Hansen. You have to be your own person and, and, and let your own personality come out, but you have to come out of your shell. Um, you, you can't just ignore coaches because that is the one thing that will not work. I think anybody who wants to start refereeing has to have a great passion for doing it. You can't just wake up one night or sitting around watching a basketball game and say, oh, I believe I'd like to be a referee. I can do this. I think maybe officials are actually born. It's something about them and the way they do things on the basketball floor. They were just born to do it. They The things that go bad in a game that doesn't bother them, they have the proper temperament, they're great communicators, and they're willing to spend the time. Go watch a JV game, two officials that work the JV game, see what they do after the game. If they go back to the locker room and dress and leave and go home, they're not going to be very successful officials because you can't learn that way. You've got to stay and watch the varsity guys work. That's how you learn how to referee. Talk to them if you can after the game. If you see plays, ask them why they call something, why they did this or that. That's how you learn how to referee from other people. So I think the uh, there's, there's a lot of good information in this podcast for young officials and how to learn. You heard it from three state officials earlier. You heard it from uh, two of the all-time greats in the state of Virginia that are also the state evaluators now. So you're, if you're going to learn from anybody that's going to try to help you and, and get that, that road uh, to get to that point, then this is the, the right place to listen to. So um, want to want to thank Don and Jimmy for spending some time with us. I'm going to ask them to stick around, though, Adam, because we got a mailbag question. I'm interested to hear what they have to say. You've got mail. I got mail. Yay! I got mail. Yay! All right, so we're at mailbag time, and our email today comes from the head coach of the Woodson girls basketball team, Asim Rostogi. And Asim writes us, Hey, Bach and Brick, what do you guys think about the 30-second shot clock coming into National Federation? So um, this has been a hot topic, and I figure we, we might as well start with uh, – with our, our two legends that are joining us, and Jimmy and Don. So, Jimmy, I'm going to let you have first crack at what your thoughts are on the shot clock uh, and let you just chime in. I think the shot clock would be nice, you know, for the game, but I doubt personally that it will ever come for two reasons. I think that the National Federation might think that it's an undue expense that smaller schools – uh, might not be able to come up with that kind of money if you made it a rule change. And secondly, you got to worry about training clock operators. And the person doing, uh, operating the shot clock. And it's not an easy task. And that's why the people that do it, like on the NBA level or college level, are highly trained, been doing it for a long time. And, uh, and I think it would be very difficult for you to, you know, to get someone possibly on that level. You know, there's an old thing, Scott, in officiating, as you know, is they tell us as officials, do not let things at the table 
people at the table in every way screw up your game. And if you don't have the right trained clock operators to operate 30-second clock, then you've got a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think, Jimmy, you bring up a good point. I, I've had this similar conversation with our uh, VHSL interpreter, Joy Sisson, where it's not the cost of the clock. It's it's the cost of being able to find somebody to do the, the shot clock. Um, and you're talking about all different parts of the state, not just northern Virginia. You're talking about, you know, in, in smaller, lower-income areas where it's going to be very difficult to to find somebody that's willing to do that. So, um I will say I'm going to play devil's advocate before I ask you, Don, for your response. But as officials, I think that most officials enjoy working the games with the shot clock for various reasons. One is, you know, the you're only doing the closely guarded during the holding of the ball, not the dribbling in the front court. And you use the shot clock as opposed to a 10 second count um, to to do the 10 the, the back court count. So. Those are some things, and I, th- I think that you know we do have some schools that we do have the shot clock in, and for the most part, I think that our officials enjoy that. But Don, I'm interested in your perspective. You know, you you've uh, you've worked the shot clock before uh, when you were officiating before you came off the court. But do you have any uh, thoughts separate from those? So you're going to laugh at this response, but uh, you're talking to an NC State grad who was in the same class with Phil Ford. And so my perspective on the shot clock is it makes the game a whole lot better because we never could beat Carolina when he was there. Um, Having said that, I think it's better for the game. And I think it's made the college game much better. And I think it would make the high school game a little bit better. But I think you have to recognize at the cost of what. And today we witnessed probably five or six situations where the shot clock might have come into play, um, or at least in my estimation, five or six situations where it would have come into play in four state championship games. And I don't think any of those would have affected the outcome. Uh, Potentially one, the girls game that went to overtime. Um, but otherwise there would be an improvement in the game, but at what expense and, and at what complications I, I fear that whoever becomes the clock operator would need to understand the rules, uh, far better and much more complicated than the current timers and scores need to understand today. You know, and that's a good point. I, I agree with you about the girls game today, because I think they, the one team held the last shot for the last 56 seconds of regulation before uh, missing and then going into overtime. Um, you know, so Adam, I'll let, I'll let you finish this up. And obviously uh, since it's the mailbag, it's also the end of the show. So you'll always get the last word. So Adam, I'm interested in your thoughts on the shot clock as we close out the show. Well, I'll just say that, um, I think there's a certain level of talent and teamwork that goes into being able to hold the ball and keep it from the other team. And so if you can do that, and if you can do that well, um, then that serves your style of play, and there's nothing wrong with that. Just It's like anything else. If people want more scoring, if the object is to have more scoring, then you need a shot clock. But beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and some people will tell you that being able to move the ball as a team and hold on to it and control it is is beautiful part of the game. 
So what I would say is if you're looking for that action, then let's go back to the old lack of action rule um, where I know Jimmy and, and, and Don can remember. Um, and I, I don't quite remember it very much, but all I remember was being having to yell lack of action and put your arm out and you start counting and coaches would start freaking out. Um, so I'm, I'm okay without a shot clock. Um, I can still count to 10 as an official. If I have to go past 10, then I got to take my shoes and socks off. Um, but I also use the game clock to help me with my 10 second count, um, as opposed to even if there's no shot clock. So really want to thank Don and Jimmy for joining us today. Um, quite honestly, um, it's getting close to one in the morning. Um, this episode or this segment is also sponsored by Miller Lite. And we're, we're thankful for that here at the Hampton Inn down in Richmond. And may this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day. Ball don't lie.